as I minister today and as I speak today, there might be a thing or two that unusual that would be unusual in this house that I might say that might be a little challenging. And I just want, I'm not saying things to be challenging today. I'm saying things to grow us. What good is it? If I can go to church or I go to church every Sunday and I hear the same thing every Sunday from a different voice, it's just a different person saying it. What change really comes? Genuine change only comes when we are forced to, again, as Seth is wearing the shirt this morning, when we are forced to consider where I am right now and why am I still If I'm in the same place I was a year ago, why? If all I know about the kingdom of God today is what I knew two weeks ago, I need to consider why. If I'm saying the same scriptures over and over again today that I said two weeks ago, or a week ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, I need to ask myself why. If the whole of the word is true, and it's worth it to memorize ten verses... Why don't you memorize the whole thing? I believe he made it so big so that you couldn't. Nobody has ever memorized this Bible from cover to cover. They do not have the mental capacity because they'll never be able to capture the spirit of it from cover to cover. You cannot. And I'm going to tell you why. Because while the word is certain in the scripture, the word is certain when he speaks it. Because he's always drawing us into a place that causes us and forces us to ask again, why am I here? Why did you lead me to this place? Change me in it. Redeem me in it. Amen? So today as I talk about the second Adam, I'm going to refer to something that you won't find in the Bible that you probably hold in your hand, perhaps in the digital Bible that you might have on your iPad or your iPhone. Uh, You might. Um, And some of you, depending on what version of the King James that you have today, it's very possible that you would find the verse that I'm going to refer to. Um, We'll get to it in a moment. But there's a reason that I'm getting there, because in order to talk about the second Adam and Adam redeemed, in order to get to a place where we understand why Christ was sent, in order to understand that, We have to be willing, everybody say with me, I have to be willing to accept that what I have accepted up until now might have a different interpretation. Can you accept that? Let us see. So, if the second Adam was sent to redeem man... What does this redemption or this redeeming look like? Let me say it again. So if we can accept that the second Adam, and we'll read it in a moment in 1 Corinthians, the second Adam was sent to redeem man, and that's really a loose statement by saying the second Adam was sent. That's very loose. Clarification coming soon. The second Adam was sent to redeem man, What does this redemption look like? Let's read in 1 Corinthians 15.45, and it's going to take me about 30 minutes today to help us get to where I believe we're supposed to be going. So let's walk together. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, in the English Standard Version, it reads like this. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, 
became a living being. Everybody say the first became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Everybody say the last became a life-giving spirit. What is the difference between being a living being and becoming a life-giving spirit? Let me help you see that this morning. So the first Adam lived within his being. The being of man is the natural us, the earthy us. Again, let me refer back to 1 Corinthians 15. The first man, Adam, became a earthy Adam, a living being. He became an earthy Adam. The father took the dust of the ground, breathed into it. His nature was in Adam, but Adam was formed of the dirt. Remember, we talked about what Adam meant in the beginning. It's that red soil. He took of that and he put it all together and formed it and made this thing called Adam that was made in the image of God. We'll get there in a moment. And then he breathed in it. But the first Adam lived, he existed within his natural. He existed within his being. Remember in the New Testament we read first the natural, then the spiritual. We always approach the natural first, then the spiritual. So, in the first Adam, the spiritual deferred to the natural once he ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. The moment he ate of the fruit of the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, at that moment, that first Adam said to the spiritual part, that image of God that was in him, you will defer to my earthy self. You are going to defer. In other words, the earth is going to decide for me what I think is right and wrong. And if you don't believe that, just ask yourself, when was the last time you were earthy? And I can help you find the answer to that simply by asking you this. When was the last time that you accepted what men told you about circumstances before you said to the Father, what is your nature in this? We're in the middle of all that. We talked about it last week. We're not going there again. But we talked about it last week. The whole of the United States right now is in, the, in an earthy moment. It's very earthy. They're not asking what's the Father saying. They're asking what did they say? What did this one do? What did that one do? How did they do it? Why did they do it? Let's figure that out and then we can come to a conclusion. It's never going to happen. The law never changed anybody's heart. Only the Spirit of God changes a heart. There's never been a law that's changed the heart of a man. Laws keep honest men honest and they make criminals more criminal. It just helps us expose who is on the right side and who is on the wrong side. Who has a heart for good, who has a heart for evil. That's all laws do. But that was never our intention. That intention that's earthy. That is earthy. So the first man, Adam, lived within his natural, his being. He ate of the fruit and he dwelt within the natural. The spiritual deferred to that. The second Adam, though, lived by the Spirit. It says he became a life-giving spirit. When did he become a life-giving spirit? When he resurrected. He dwelt in the natural. He had to begin to demonstrate that this natural, Mariah, can be redeemed. I'm going to live among you for about 33 years and show you that this natural can do it. I'm going to live among you and show you that it is possible that a natural man can actually plow through all of these challenges that you think are impossible. 
I want to show you that when you get outside of the earthy mind and get into the heavenly mind, into the mind of Christ, that you can actually plow through this. I want to show you, Christ said, when that second Adam, that life-giving spirit came, I'm going to show you in those first 33 years, I'm going to demonstrate to you, guess what? I want to show you something. You can do this thing. You can stop measuring what's going on around you by what's going on around you. And start measuring what's going on around you by word and by spirit so that what's going on around you doesn't get in you. It might be in someone else, but it doesn't have to get in you. Don't let the slop be part of who you are. Clean, let him clean up the slop that might be present right now that's in you. Amen? So the second Adam lived by the spirit. He was spiritual. So the second Adam, when he was resurrected from the dead, immediately the natural had to defer to the spirit. Immediately, the natural man deferred to the Spirit of God. Not my will, but your will be done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't get why all this is happening, but I am right now, I am, I am letting the Spirit of God subdue this natural mind, this natural man, the fears that are present in me. I'm going to let the Spirit of God subdue that. So I am going to believe today that the natural is going to right now begin to defer to the Spirit. Put your hands on yourself right now. Put your hands on yourself. Say this with me. Say, I am believing that my natural man will defer to the Spirit of God, to that life-giving Spirit. Put your hands on your head. We're going to say it again. I am believing today that before I walk out of this building, my natural thinking is going to defer to the life-giving Spirit of Christ. Change is coming to me. Change is coming to my mind. Change is coming to my natural. Change is coming to my thoughts. Change is coming to Steve Parker. Put your name in there. Change is coming to whatever your name is. Change is coming to me. It's coming to my mind. It's coming to my body. It's coming to my thoughts. It's coming to the way I do things. Change is coming to me. So again, 1 Corinthians 15, 45 Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. He became a living being with an original intent. We'll get to it in a little bit. Became a living being. The last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. So what does redemption look like? What does it look like when the first man, Adam, gets supplanted by the second man, Adam? We're going to do some supplanting in here today. What does supplanting mean? Supplanting means that where one thing exists, something else comes in and occupies that space until this thing is no longer allowed to stay. So something's going to come in today into some of your lives. Are you ready? Something's coming today and it's going to occupy the space where you have dwelt until that place that doesn't look like God doesn't have room anymore to compete with that part of God that wants to dwell in you. Are you ready for that? So what does redemption look like? What does it look like? One, first of all, let's talk about why he even sent his son. You know why he sent him, Cole? He sent him because he said, listen, I love you guys. When I created the first Adam and I breathed into him, I didn't breathe into him and say, oh, I can't wait to breathe into you and then 6,000 years later send a redeemer. Or 4,300 years later send a redeemer. I'm not breathing into you so that I can do that. I'm breathing into you because I have purpose for you. Don't mess it up. <laughs> it's so easy. Just get out from under the wrong shade. 
I love that right now one of the words, well, I don't know, it's been around for a while. It's just new to me, but it might not be new to some of y'all. And they're talking about things getting shaded. Oh, they shaded you. They shaded this. They shaded. I'm not even sure I'm using it right. But if I'm not, just go with me. I'm changing the definition. Am I close? Thank you. Just bear with me. I'm trying to be cool, okay? Let me be cool for a moment. This is my cool moment. Leave me alone. So if I'm going to be shaded, <laughs> I won't be shaded by the right tree. I'm throwing shade. It's the same thing, just said a little different. I want the tree of life to throw its shade on me. I want the right tree throwing the right shade on me. And if I'm not under the right shade, I'm going to make sure I find my way to the right shade. I'm going to let him redeem my mind. Somebody say amen. amen. You hear me today? Get shaded. <laughs> That's our next shirt. Get shaded. Follow me to the rock. Yeah. We're going to make it what we want to be. I told you I'm a gay pastor. Only because I... I'm happy. In all the right ways. You can edit that out. <laughs> now I'm totally messed up. Now I, don't even, now I don't even know where I was. So what does redemption look like? Let me get a drink of water. <laughs> nobody can get you in trouble like you can. And nobody can get you in trouble like I can. <laughs> you got to explain all this to your friends and your family that might be watching online. Like, you're leaving this church already, your phone's dinging. Ding, ding, ding. What did you eat? What? <sighs> anyway. So what does redemption look like? I want to read a scripture to you out of Genesis chapter 1. And it's a similar verse to what we just read in 1 Corinthians, but it's the original. It's the image of God. And I want to talk about this for a few minutes, and I want to say some things that I think are really cool um, about this and then reference Thursday night's meeting. So let's begin re reading Genesis 1, verse, starting with verse 26. And I'm going to answer the question, what does redemption look like? Because I think we need to see that. Because I think some of the danger in the church world today in the believer's community, I hate to say the church world because we are the church, individually we are the church there's this building this community there's this movement this whatever you want to call it that calls themselves the church but everything looks so incredibly different it's it's no wonder the world is confused because when they look at all these different places none of them look the same I'm going to tell you you cannot change what the church looks like when the church looks like Christ Christ is not schizophrenic and he's not he's not confused about who he is he looked the same yesterday, he's going to look the same today, and he's going to look exactly the same tomorrow. And he doesn't look black, he doesn't look white, he doesn't look Hispanic, he doesn't look Asian, he doesn't look whatever. He looks like the image of God. Yes. Amen? So in Genesis 1 it says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. 
and this is in the King James Version, by the way, on purpose. And God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Male and female created he them. Now let me read it again, and let me help you understand a couple of words that are in here. And I think I put it on the screen. Go back. Oh, I did not. I thought I did. But it says this, and God said, let us make man in our image. The Hebrew word for that word, that particular word, image, is a masculine. Every say, everybody say masculine. The Hebrew word for that is, I don't know how to say it right, but I'm going to do the best I can, but salmanu. That is a masculine word for that, that's the masculine Hebrew word, original word for image. So, God said, let us make man in our masculine image. I'm not going to do the other part, so you better get all you want out of this part. And then he said, after our likeness, kid matunitenu. Feminine. God said, let us make man in our masculine image and after our feminine likeness. So what it says in the original Hebrew. Let us make man in our masculine image strength. That's, if you look up the definition, this is what it means. I'm not making this up and I'm not leaving ladies out. But strength. Let us make man in our masculine image. The ability to be strong. Men have bigger muscles than women, even if they don't try. Most women. I've seen some women that... <laughs> let me just say, norm, under normal circumstances. In our strong image. In our... That type of image... And let us make man after our feminine likeness, our nurturing, caring, loving likeness. Nobody has to, nobody's going to argue the point. Women know how to love better than men. Now, some, how come none of the men said, what? And none of the women said, no, my husband loves way better than I do. No, I, it's true, though. It's easy for a woman to love. Men grow into it. It's easy for a woman to love. My wife, let me see. As I was saying, he said, let us make man in our masculine image after our feminine likeness and let both our image and our likeness have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God created man, humankind, God created man in His image. In the image of God He created him, both male and female created him, he, them. It's very easy to understand. When Adam was created, he wasn't absent anything. That feminine part was present. That masculine part was present. Everything that was in God was already in Adam. It was there. But he was lonely. And here, if you don't understand that, let me help you understand this. In the same way, God was lonely.
Archie said this morning, he said, there's a single original, but in each of us, everything else after that, he said, is a duplicate. But yet when he made us, we're an original duplicate. (laughs) So why did God create Adam? To rule, to reign, to replenish the earth, to worship him? Right? In the same way that God was lonely, He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted the company of you and me. He desires the company of you and me so much so that He said, out of me, I'm going to form a piece of me that I can commune with. So when He created Adam... And then Adam was lonely. It should come as no surprise. Because just like his daddy was lonely, Adam was lonely, and then the father realized he's lonely. He's alone. Man should not be alone. And I'm going to remove from him that part of him. I'm going to separate the masculine from the feminine. I'm going to separate that and make them two. And together they will replenish the earth and they will rule and reign over the earth. So that there will never be a lack of communion in the earth because as I long for communion man should long for communion as I long for communion with Adam he longs for communion with you and me God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over all of these things and God created man in his image and in the image of God did he create them male and female created he them now I want to reference Thursday's men's meeting and talk about what this redemption looks like based on Genesis 21 uh, Genesis 1 26 through 27 so in Thursday night's meeting I was sharing and talking and we were doing a little bit of dialogue and I always open it up for conversation and um, I shared with them I said uh, well first of all I was asked a question by one of my sons that uh, was in the meeting um, one of my spiritual sons that was in the meeting and he, he said can you help me understand the second Adam. I need to understand that second Adam, and if we are not him, how does this relate? And I'm going to tell you why, I, why this conversation came up. Because contrary to general church thoughts, and I said this Thursday night, and I'll say it, and I think I've said it before on a Sunday morning, but contrary to general church thoughts, one of the things that I always refuse to wear on my wrist or put on my car or anywhere else is the question... What would Jesus do? Because when people would ask something, you'd get into a conversation with something and you'd go into counseling, it became the go-to phrase. I don't know what to do in this situation. Well, what would Jesus do? And just in case you forget to ask the question, what would Jesus do? What we're going to do is we're going to imprint that in little white letters on a bracelet you can wear on your wrist that will remind you When you're confused about what to do, you can just look at it and it will say, what would Jesus do? Now, somebody in this room or watching online might have that bracelet on your wrist right now. I would simply encourage you to take it off because Jesus doesn't want you to do what Jesus would do. You were not created to do what Jesus would do. Jesus died on a cross. Which of you were asked to do that or would ever be asked to do that. None of you nor I would ever be asked because we can't do what Jesus did. What we can do is be the one that we were created to be 
allowing the Jesus Christ nature to be revealed in who we were created to be. God didn't create you. He did not create Tom and say, I'm going to create Tom and expect him to be Jesus. He would have just made another Jesus. Or Yeshua. He created Tom because he said, I've got a work for Tom to do and I'm going to expect that Tom is going to commune with me so much that the Christ nature will show up in him. So the question isn't what would Jesus do, it's what would Steve do with Jesus shining through? What would Jim do if the nature of Christ were emanating from him? What will Sam do if the nature of Christ is emanating through Sam? I'm going to call everybody's name out again. What would Kaylee do if the nature of Christ were emanating from Kaylee or Kim? If the nature of Christ were emanating... What would Kaylee do? Because I created Jordan to be Jordan. When God created Jordan, He knew Jordan was going to be wearing those what do you, braids today. Couldn't think of the word. He knew it. But you know what God never... He'll never do. He's never going to look at Jordan and say, I wouldn't wear braids like that. Because I'm certain if we had the ability to do what Jesus would do, I just don't know in Jesus' day if he'd have been wearing braids. But today, he is emanating from Jordan wearing braids. I'm pretty certain in Jesus' day, his hair wouldn't be short like mine or moving backwards. But in this day, he created Steve for him to show up. And he's looking, for, he's looking for a portal to emanate from. And when the Father created... Now, now go, go with me. So when he created the first Adam, because I want to show you what redemption looks like. <laughs> redemption is so amazing if we can get it. Redemption doesn't just look like saying, forgive me, I have sinned, I want to be a son. I want to, I want to be a child of God. That's, not, that's so shallow in relationship to what true redemption is. We're going to get there. When he created the first Adam, he created Adam to be Adam. The first. Formed out of the earth. With the image of God in him, emanating out of him. He did not create God and then ask Adam to show up in the middle of it. He created Adam and expected that his anointing would show up in Adam. If God was interested in creating, re, re, duplicating himself in such a way that we showed up in the middle of him, he would have named the animals. <laughs> that's right if God was interested in doing it he would have said I'm not even going to create Adam I'm just going to rule I can rule I created it I'll just rule and reign over it he didn't want that you can't commune with yourself <laughs> when yourself doesn't have the ability to think on its own You can't commune with yourself when yourself doesn't have its own will. 
So the father said, I'm going to create the first Adam, and I'm going to be in the middle of Adam. As long as he'll stay away from that tree, I'm going to remain in the middle of Adam. But I'm going to expect Adam to be Adam, and I'm going to let him rule. I'm going to let him reign, and I'm going to let he and Eve, I'm going to let them begin to name these critters. I'm going to let them name the geographical areas. I'm going to let them name whatever the waters are going to be. I'm going to let them name the trees. I'm going to let them name the grass. I'm naming two trees. The rest of it's up to them. I'm going to let them do all of this, and when they're naming it, the cool thing is I'm going to be right in the middle of that. But I left it up to them. I didn't say to them, oh, you're going to name that one an apple tree. You're going to name that one a pear tree. You're going to name that one a lion, and you're going to name that one a lamb. He's, I, he didn't do that. He said, what would you name it? And Adam said, I think I want to call that a lion. And, and God said, I'm going to get right in the middle of that from henceforth. That's a lion. And then Adam said, I, I believe I'm going to call that a, 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 the, the, the Mount Sinai. Well, there wasn't a Sinai at the time. But I'm going to call that a whatever. And, and in the middle of all of that, the father said, I'm going to get right in the middle of that. I'm going to get behind you because I created you for communion. So I want to be able to come in and stand with this lion and say, Son, you named this. That's what redemption looks like. When we get to the place where we recognize that it is the Father that's working through us. When we have yielded to Him. And we've said, Father, there, I, I want you to shine in me. I want you to emanate from me. I want you to be present in me. But I am determined I'm going to be the me that you created me to be. I'm not going to try to be Jesus. I'm going to try to be Steve Parker, and I'm going to let Christ show up in me. And that's exactly what Christ wants. So anyway, so the question was asked, can you explain that second Adam? And I said to them, I said, so that second Adam, Christ, who was Christ, was the redeeming seed. He was, the, he was that one that had the ability to come back to us, was sent to us to redeem that portion that was forfeited. See, Adam forfeited the ability to have any authority. He had no authority because he lost his job. Adam was the first person ever fired. It's true. He lost his job because he could not be obedient to the Father. And the Father said, I want to shine forth in you. And you're, expect, and you're trying to be me. I don't want you to try to be me. I want you to be you. That's why I didn't want him eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't try to get to be me. That's why at the Tower of Babel he was mad. Don't you try to be me. I want you to be you and let me show up. If you'll be you, folks building the Tower of Babel, watch what I'll do when I show up and you won't need the tower. You'll just step over. You want to be into the heavenlies, you're trying to read, you think the heavenlies are in a high place. You can't build a tower into the high place. You can't build a tower into the heavenlies. The heavenlies already exist. So that second Adam was the redeeming seed. Let me try to wrap this up. I'm getting off track. Is the redeeming seed that the Father sent to bring us back into the proper frame of mind, which is His and not just ours. To believe He created me for something. Can I tell you today, whoever you are, when you look at yourself, what do you see? He created you so that He could emanate from you. So that He could be visible through you. God is not trying to supplant the man or woman that you are. He's trying to show Himself powerful within the man or the woman that you are. And when Adam, the first Adam, forfeited that, 
The second Adam came to redeem that. Came to redeem the nature so that when you and I recognize that He created me because He wants to show up in me, that we could accept that that is actually, actually possible. So, the question is, when he was asked that question about the second Adam, and I said, he's the redeeming seed, the question falls down to this, what would Steve do with Jesus in him? The question I ask you today, what would Tim Darnell do with Christ in you? The hope of glory. Gaston Glasgow, what would Gaston do with Christ in you? Remember, the second Adam was that life-giving spirit. Life-giving spirit, not life-supplanting spirit. He doesn't take away who you are so that he can show up. He gives life to who you are through the spirit of who he is. Are you tracking with me? So let's do a deeper dive here real quick. See if I can do this without messing anybody up. So, depending on how long you've been in the church, how much you've, if you like history or not, I'm a history guy, I love history, so I track with it. But how many have ever heard of the Apocrypha? How many have heard of the Apocrypha? So you know there's 14 books of the Apocrypha, there's Apocrypha, that's a hard word to say. And depending on who you're talking to, some of them are accepted, some of them are not. Bottom line is, and I'm going to paraphrase this very loosely, and I'm going to emphasize very loosely so that nobody can say, well, you said this, and that's not really exactly right. Well, it's very close to right. I'm as right as you're going to be if you try to correct me. So the 14 books of the Apocrypha were written roughly in the same season as the Pentateuch. Roughly. But when they were written, when the Jewish scholars, the priests, those who were deciding which books of the Bible, which verses would be canonical, which would be, which would be uh, this is inspired, this is not. There were a lot of writings, you can only imagine, in history. So they're deciding which ones are going to, would we say are inspired books, and which are books that really aren't as inspired, just more has man's hand in it, and yada, yada, yada. Well, they got to decide that. And they decided that. And there's 14 of these books. And the interesting thing about the Apocrypha is in the original King James Bible in 1611, in the original version of the King James Bible, it included all 14 books of the Apocrypha. In the original version. And because there was an uprising within the church, they decided that they were going to leave them out rather than expose the possibility that there might be truth in this. Let's just get it out of there because nobody in church likes a good, dis honest discussion. I'm just talking about history here. I mean, they were putting each other on sticks because they didn't like a good, honest discussion. 
So if we do this deeper dive, and the, again, the original books were in the Apocrypha, I mean, we're in the original King James Version. I only say that today because I want to validate that in history, these books were not something that was lightly overlooked. They had weight. They were measured as to the significance of these writings. Well, one of these books, I want to read a verse out of this that sounds so much like what we just read. Sounds so much like <laughs> Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And it's the book called Wisdom or Wisdom of Solomon in the Apocrypha. It is one of the quote-unquote accepted books. Maybe I should say that louder so that everybody understands it was one of the accepted books. Maybe it'll validate for those who are worried about what I'm about to read to you. In the book of Wisdom, or Wisdom of Solomon, in chapter 2, verse 23, it reads like this. Interestingly enough, this morning, put that scripture up there on the wall, please. Interestingly enough, when I put this up in the... Bible software that we use to look up verses. I just thought, I'm going to type in Wisdom of Solomon. Do you know that they include it in their Bible versions? The King James Version of the Apocrypha? Wisdom of Solomon. I didn't have to put that in there. It was there. So in the book of Wisdom, chapter 2, verse 23, this is what it says. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of His own eternity. So you can really see, it really makes sense why when they were deciding which ones they thought God would say and which ones they thought God would, or would have inspired and which ones they thought God wouldn't inspire, you can really see why back in those days, you can't hold it against them, it's really easier for, to accept Genesis 1 that says, And God created man in His image, and in His likeness He created them. Then it is, it's easy to accept that, easier, than it is to accept that God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of His own eternity. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? While so much of the church world is waiting on themselves to become Jesus, Yahweh is waiting on us to become us. I'm not, I'm not sure everybody's getting what I'm telling you today. For God created man to be immortal and made him to be an image of his own eternity. What does that mean? God created man in his image, which is immortal. And in his likeness, which is eternal. What's so hard? About that to accept. Are you learning anything? Yes. So God created man 
in his image, which is immortal, Adam did not have a death day. You read the rest of Genesis and you'll get that. I'm not making that up. Just read in your comfortable version. Adam was not created with a, this is it. In fact, he was not given a termination date until he stopped being Adam with God emanating through him and tried to be God with Adam showing up from time to time by eating of the fruit. He said, if I could just be God, that will clean Adam up. And God said, you be Adam, and I'll clean you up from the inside. God's never cleaned anybody up from the outside. Never has. It always begins right in that part of us in this country. We'll call it the heart. But it always begins in that part of us where life flows. (laughs) So God created man to be immortal. So what does redemption look like? Redemption looks like a Steve Parker recognizing Wow. Until today, I was trying to be like Jesus. But today, I accept that I can be Steve Parker and let Jesus show out. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What does a redeemed man look like? It looks like you... Let me use me. It looks like Steve Parker being a husband to his wife, Kim Parker. And I become a better husband because Christ shows up in me. Jesus has never been interested in marrying her. Or me. Or you. But he's very interested in replenishing the earth by Steve marrying Kim. And he shows up in the middle of that and redeems anything that doesn't look like his daddy. If you can get what I'm telling you, this is not, I'm hoping it's not complicating things. But if you can get what I'm telling you today, Yahweh God, he's not redeeming us to be like him. He's redeeming us to be like the us he created. He liked you when he created you. He said, I like this. I think he winks. He kind of creates and he goes. He likes us. When he creates us. He creates us because he has a vision in mind of what we can become if we will be us and let him work through us. So I want to say to you today, you might be a new believer. You might be trying to sort this out. You might be watching online. You could be wherever you are. I have no idea. You have never heard anything like what you've heard today. Maybe you've heard this a thousand times. I have no idea. Much of it is new to me. I'm not perfect in it. But I'm willing to walk it out. I want to get some of this mud on my boots. (laughs) But you might be watching today and you might be sitting in here watching online wherever you are. And I just want you to know today. While it might sound complicated and everything else, I want to tell you what true redemption looks like. True redemption looks like me coming back to the tree of life. 
See, before we receive Christ, we're standing, we're being shaded. <laughs> standing under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we're born, we eat that fruit because it's the first thing we're fed. We come out of the womb and we eat that fruit. But the Father says, but at some point you're going to say, forgive me. You're going to come to the point where you are introduced to who Christ is. And when you say, forgive me, and I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, and I accept that God created me to be a demonstration, and God forgives you, and he forgives so easily, if it would just be so easy for us to repent. He forgives so easily. And when we ask him to redeem us and forgive us, from that moment forward, what he wants to do is he wants you to be a better version of you every single day because he is breathing into you and he is showing you things about you you didn't even know were there. He will, from the inside out, begin to show you how to be a better husband, a better wife, a better friend, a better father, a better mother, a better coworker, a better employer, a better employee, a better whatever. He will show you from the inside out because he wants to work out. It never works out when we try to be God because every time we do, God's going to trip over you. But when we try to be us, we don't trip over God coming out. What the Father does is he begins to move the obstacles. He moves them out of the way so that we can then reflect who he is. See, that second Adam, he was the redeeming seed. The father said, I'm going to send my second Adam so that he can restore these folks, these fine folks, these wonderful portions of me that I want to talk with and I want to commune with. I'm going to send my second Adam so that he can be a seed planted into the soil of their heart and redeem them back to the shade of the tree of life. Adam redeemed is literally accepting that whoever you are, Joseph, you are a beautiful Joseph to the Father. You might look in the mirror, and when you look in the mirror, you do what our Adam nature sometimes does. We always tend to fall back on what doesn't look good, what doesn't feel good, what doesn't meet up to whatever standards people have set for us. But when we accept, this is the Steve Parker God made, and I look in that mirror, I'm going to look at this Steve, and I'm going to be honest about this Steve, and I'm going to look right in there, and I'm going to see my face, and I'm going to say, Father, show up in that Steve until that Steve is exactly what you came to redeem. And he'll do it here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. Amen? Did you learn anything today? I can tell you that this is a journey. This is a journey. Alicia, this is a journey. Can I say something without trying to embarrass you today? I loved that email that you sent. And I just want you to know today that when you look around this room, and I, again, I am not in any way trying to embarrass you. I know that it probably is, and I'm, I'm apologizing for that, perhaps. <laughs> My intent is for you to know you are loved. And every single person in this room today recognizes that you are a daughter of God. And he made Alicia to be Alicia. And he wants to show up more and more in you every day. And he is. And in you, and in you, and in you, and in you, and in you. And, and that is true of every single one of us. Can we accept that today? Can we receive that today? Listen, don't try to be God in everybody else's life. Don't try to be God in anybody else's life. Don't, be, don't try to be God in there. Don't, don't go to them and say, that doesn't look like God. Please don't ever say to your children, 
Would Jesus do that? Do you think Jesus would stick his gum under the table? Can I tell you why? Let me tell you why you don't ever try to compare anybody and force them. Because what you do is you make them despise the Father. Because the more we tell them that doesn't look like God, that doesn't look like Jesus, would Jesus do that? The more we tell them that, they begin to realize, I'm never going to measure up. So why serve him at all? But when we say to them, Tamisa, be Tamisa, let God show up. Marshall, be Marshall, let God show up. And he'll begin to redeem those goofy parts or those things. Because that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do, Cynthia. That's what he wants to do. Can you receive that today? Stand with me if you can. I lift my voice, Father, over every person in this room right now, and I pray for every man and woman over those who are watching online. I pray for those who are visiting with us today who have been coming for a few weeks. I pray for, every, for those who have been coming for years. I pray if they can hear my voice, I'm praying for them. And I pray today you will help us. If there is any among us that have never received you, Father, if there's any among us that have never received the anointing of Jesus Christ to redeem our life and to begin to rearrange our thoughts and our ways, if there's any among us, today I pray that you will cause them to repent to you, to be changed by your anointing, so that they can accept that wherever they are, whatever their name is, it is from them that you want to work mightily. Not from outside, but from within. So we all invite you to work from within today. That redeeming seed, that second Adam, that Adam that redeems, we receive today to allow us or to change us into the who we were originally created to be. Be glorified today.